This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by KRML, Carmel by the Sea's only home for a little verse, a little talk, and hours of jazz music to be very, very nice to each other by. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, Crazed Stalkers, with... 1971's Play Misty for Me, and 2002's Swim Fan. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Why don't you give me what you got? In what decade does 2017's It take place? Uh, the 80s. That is correct. Yeah. Or should be in the 50s. <laughs> Well, it should be is subjective. <laughs> We're hearing more and more about filming of the new It. I haven't heard much. Really? Yeah. No, I've been seeing like interviews with uh, Bill Hader, for instance. I haven't seen anything. Talking about how he's horrible <laughs> looking scared. <laughs> he likes when he tries to have a scared look, he's actually smiling. So this is, is this your first horror movie? Yeah, this is my first horror movie, and I'm terrible at acting scared, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that a problem? Yeah, because when I, I'm scared, I think I smile. <laughs> what do you I mean? I get nervous. Yeah. I kind of smile. We would, do, we would do takes, and the director, Andy Machete, would come and he's like, Bill, you need to be uh, scared, man. <laughs> I go, I was terrified. He goes, no, man, you're smiling the whole time. Man, what's wrong with you? I'm like, oh, guys, we got to get out of here. Pennywise is here. <laughs> they're like, guys, we need to get out of here. And I'm like, oh, no, it's it, too. We'll be fine. <laughs> Don't say it. It's not called it, too. <laughs> the working title was it's. Yeah. <laughs> I have a student who claims, like, every time he's supposed to be sad in a scene... I'm uh -huh. always like, don't smile. And he's like, I smile when I cry. I'm like, that makes no sense. Well, I mean, less about that, more about like, it's not you. You're not <laughs> portraying you. You're portraying somebody else. Uh, even though you might find some truth inside what you do. All right. Kelsey, what is the name of the actor who played Dr. Sam Loomis in Halloween, 1978. Donald Pleasance. That is correct. Good job, baby. Are we going to do a supernatural check-in? Do you want to do a supernatural check-in? All right, supernatural check-in. Carry on my We have been watching Supernatural again. It's been a long, long time, been people. busy. Yeah, uh, and so we haven't really been watching it. And we watched... A few episodes recently, just a couple, not too many, but it also includes a great episode. The French Mistake, <laughs> which is a reference, by the way, to Blazing Saddles, when at the end of that movie, the Western leaves the set 
of the Western and smashes into uh, a musical that they're performing, that musical is called The French Mistake. And it kind of tears down that fourth wall and you see kind of the behind the scenes of the making of this movie. The movie that you're watching right now. So Supernatural did the same thing. This is where uh, Sam and Dean fly through a window and they end up in a world where Supernatural is a TV show <laughs> and it's played the characters are played by Jared Padalecki and uh what's the other t- what's <laughs> Jared Paladecki? <laughs> Poldecki? You're Polish? <laughs> Jensen Ackles? What kind of names are these? Misha? Oh, God, Misha. Oh, my God. The actor who plays Castiel is so great (laughs) as his himself. He tweets everything, and it's very funny. (laughs) R-O-T-F-L-M-A-O. It was a really great episode is one of the meta episodes which end up being like our favorites every single time (laughs) so uh season six guys check it out i'm sure you've already watched it um the the director keeps saying that season six yeah (laughs) i feel like the other writers are just like what the fuck do we do (laughs) (laughs) all right and that is the supernatural check-in there'll be peace when you Moving on to our first movie, Kelsey, 1971's play Misty for me, written by Joe Himes, I think is how you pronounce that, and Dean Reisner, story by Joe Himes, directed by Clint Eastwood, his first directing gig. And it showed. Starring (laughs) Clint Eastwood, Jessica Walter, and Donna Mills. What is play Misty for me all about? A woman is obsessed with a radio DJ, and they end up having a fling, but he wants to get back together with his ex, and this stalker lady does not like it. Yeah. Should people watch this movie? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I liked it. I really enjoyed this movie. It's a little long. It is. But otherwise, I liked it a lot. But I immediately loved this movie at the end. And for those of you who have seen the movie, you might know what I'm referring to. (laughs) Yeah, you should see it. A simple answer. Clint Eastwood, a prolific director, as much of a weirdo as he may be, he's directed a whole hell of a lot of stuff. And some incredible stuff, too. Some unremarkable stuff. He's all over the place. But he's obviously very talented, and this is really his first opportunity to... uh, Flex those muscles. And, I, you know, I did not look down on it as much as you did. There were just some cuts that it was just like, what? (laughs) What was that? I thought it was really intriguing. And it kept my attention the entire time. Even when it cut for a five-minute love montage in the middle of it. Uh, Because... The first time ever I saw your face is an incredible song to do a love montage to. I've literally never heard that song in my life. And Kelsey's like singing along with it as we're watching the movie. <laughs> How do you know this? <laughs> All right. You can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 1971's Play Misty for Me. He's an all-night disc jockey. What does this request really mean? Play Misty for me. Clint Eastwood, an invitation to terror. 
Nobody asked you to wait for it. You're not jumping me, Buster Blue Eyes. Get off my back, Evelyn. I have to get you all nice for David. I hope he likes what he sees when he walks in here. Because that's what he's taking to hell with him. Just hope we're lucky enough to grab her the next time she tries it. Tries what? To kill you. The next scream you hear will be your own. Clint Eastwood, play Misty for me. Kelsey, can you tell us what actually happens in Play Misty for me? Get us started. Right off the bat, we have an interesting decision. Now, maybe this is written in the screenplay, but they choose to start it at a weird part and then bring it back. And then that's not like that's the end. And they cut past that at the end. So What are you talking about? It starts with him standing outside what we come to find out is his girlfriend's house. And we know his it. His ex-girlfriend, yeah. Not at this time, because when he looks in, he sees the painting of himself. Yeah. Which is later destroyed. So we know that this happens before that. Yeah. But we also know that they that she she did that painting after they got back together, which they are not together at the beginning of the film. That? Yeah. How so, do we know that? Do we ever see her start the painting? I guess I think not. the painting just exists. I think this is not a weird time jump. I think this is literally like linear time. This is the first thing that happens in the movie is he goes by the house to see her and she's not there. Hmm. He he really likes this this woman and no, but he didn't know that she was there. Remember, he had to find out through her roommate. He knows where she lives. Yeah, but she doesn't live there. She lives in Sausalito. She was staying in Sausalito, but I she guess. still kept the same place. I guess. Anyway, we get to see it's beautiful. It has this this balcony overlooking this cliff. Kelsey mentioned she would never in a million years do that because it's so dangerous. It is. Um, it, it's it's absolutely beautiful, but yeah, you're right. And it and it, and it comes into play a little bit later in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is all take this all takes place in Carmel, which is a little seaside town in California, and it's beautiful. It is a real town in California. It is actually the town that Clint Eastwood eventually became mayor of. It's like right next to Monterey Bay, which is a much more famous yeah. uh, place. If you watched that TV show, Monterey Bay is where Big Little Lies takes place, if you saw that. Which, by the way, I thought they were coming out with the second season. They are, yeah. Did it already happen? No, not yet. Oh. It comes out this year. I don't know where they're going to take that story to, but... Uh, well, his mother shows up oh, and God. wants to find out what happened to him. And, and starts an investigation into the events that otherwise likely would not have happened. Anyway, so he leaves this house and we see this montage for the credits of him driving around. And we get very 60s font, which I mention because A, it does not feel appropriate for the film. But also B, this movie is all about being a swinging hip. 60s cool cat well it's 1971 it's the it's still in my mind decades happen on the threes right (laughs) so it doesn't become that decade until like three years into it and it stays that decade for the three years into the next one it just so the speech the dialogue in this movie is very off-putting for me yeah especially al monte who is the other DJ at KRML Car- and Carmel. Uh, yeah, he's all like hip cat swinging type jockin', you know, 
He's that kind of guy. And he's listening to loud rock music in his beautiful car. Yeah. Which is a... 1957 Jaguar XK150 Drophead Coupe. It is a beautiful car. Yes, it is. It's absolutely gorgeous. Very impractical, but very pretty. (laughs) Yeah. And gotta say, Clint Eastwood was a good-looking dude back then. He was. Okay, so my name... It's not going to make any sense, so I'm not going to go in-depth, but my name is based on my brother's name. Like, they're designed to go well together, and he was originally going to be named Clint, because my mom was a huge Clint Eastwood fan. She absolutely loved him. (laughs) (laughs) He shows up at the radio station just as the guy is signing off, the other guy, El Monte, he says, everything is going to be everything. Yeah. So in the meantime, there's a sweet old money saying, hang in there, babies, because everything is going to be everything. <laughs> Very hippie. I, you know what, though? I love my favorite thing about him is that his, his common phrase, I don't know if it's his common phrase, but okay. So the thing he does when he hosts his show is he reads poetry and then he plays jazz. It's a, it's a jazz station. And... At one point in the movie, actually, and later on it comes back again, he says music for you to be very, very nice to each other by. <laughs> so just mwah, perfect. <laughs> he means it's good fucking music. Is what he means. <laughs> Men have destroyed the roads of wonder and their cities squat like black toads. In the orchards of life, nothing is clean or real or as a girl, naked to love or be a man with. This is Dave Garver with a little verse, a little talk, and five hours of music to be very, very nice to each other by. But he receives a call. He takes calls, so he plays a song. Well, just like just like solo DJs that didn't have producers, they would take their own calls. Yeah, but before that, they have this quick conversation, and it basically sets the stage for Clint Eastwood is a womanizer. He's a womanizer. Absolutely he is, yeah. Sleeps with a lot of ladies. Uh-huh. And he has some sort of, like, big interview coming up. And the guy's like, oh, that won't be any trouble for you. And he's like, she's a grandmother. And he's like, when's that ever stop you before? <laughs> but yes, so with no call screener, he answers his own calls. And the same lady calls him again and asks him to play Misty for her. Caramel, Dave Garner speaking. Hello. Hi, what will it be? Play Misty for me. Misty, huh? We have that right on the play rack. Thanks for calling. I see you got your little Misty chick calling you again. Misty is the name of a song. It's a jazzy song by Errol Garner, which Clint Eastwood bought the rights to in 1970. So right before he made this this movie. He also bought the rights to The First Time I Ever Saw Your Face by Roberta Flack. It's a beautiful song. <laughs> It's a good thing you finally heard it, because that's one of the songs on our playlist for our wedding, so. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. So, after his show, he goes to his favorite bar, and at the bar, he sees this hot lady. The Sardine Factory, which is a real place, by the way. Oh, so we could mm-hmm. go there? You could go there, yeah. Well, I don't know if it's still open, but it absolutely was a real place. He sees this hot lady, but the bartender tells him, don't even bother. Guys have been striking out all night. She's waiting for someone. 
And during this whole conversation that he's having with the bar, there is this really good shot with the bartender, and he's talking to him, and you can see her watching in the mirror. Yeah. Which I uh-huh. liked. Yeah, he was very inventive. Yes. He was trying new things in his first movie. And then they start to play this game. Called Cry Bastion. Cry Bastion, which apparently I think they suggest is just a made up game. It's, it's totally ju- made up. It's yes. just to get her to listen and talk to them. Yeah. Because she does. She's like, what are they doing? And she comes over there and she introduces herself and her name is Evelyn Draper. Yeah. Which, if you're a Mad Men yeah, fan, uh-huh. you appreciated that. But yeah, she she's basically like, wait a minute. She's like, oh, you lost? When did that happen? And and the bartender's like, as soon as you came over and talked to him. <laughs> Care for a drink? Okay. What'll it be? Surprise me. Some driver? Nice game. Congratulations. Thank you. What happened? I won. How? When? When you said okay. Yeah, and she goes, I ought to be mad. And, uh... <laughs> Clint Eastwood says, yeah, but you're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is, he's a suave dude. And it, it, it's not that he's, he's, he's not a dick. Um, at least not like that we really see. We can imagine he is a dick like in his past. Yes. Um, because he is a womanizer. He's just like, he, he just loves to, to hit on women. Yes. Which Anybody, female or male, if you're going to do that, you are putting yourself at risk because you never know who someone's going to end up being. And that's not to say that, like, oh, you should never hit on anybody and you should never meet anybody new. You should, but... When you're going to just go to bed with someone that you don't know, you're, you're, you don't know what you're getting into. Right. Yeah, you don't know what you're opening yourself up to. She pretends that she doesn't know who he is, and then uh, she invites him back to her house. And when they get there, she tells him to get the fire started, and they're going to have drinks. But then she does admit, she says, I wanted to meet you. You talk about the place on on your show, and I admit I wanted to see you. And he's like, I know who you are. I know why your voice sounded so familiar. You're the one who always calls for Misty. I listen to you all the time. I knew somebody was out there. (laughs) You're making fun of me. No, I'm not. Say something else, huh? Such as? Play Misty for me. Very good. Through this exchange, at one point he calls her a nice girl and she says, yeah, but who needs a nice girl? And he goes, well, actually, I'm kind of hung up on one. And she says, and you don't want to complicate your life, but there's no reason we can't sleep together if we feel like it. Yeah. And that should just automatically be like, you know I'm in upset. You know I'm in love with someone else, but you want to sleep with me. Well, it's kind of every sleazy guy's dream who wants to like maintain a relationship, and there's this beautiful woman that he wants to sleep with, but he'd feel guilty if he did because he's hung up on somebody else. And she's like, "Hey, don't worry about it. This is going to be a one-time thing. It's just going to be a fling. No reason why we can't have fun. I won't say anything." But that ends up being a bunch of lies because, the, yep. like, not the next day, but like. Next couple days, whatever, she just randomly shows up at his house with a bunch of groceries. So I I want to talk about one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. It's called The Zero Effect. 
Not a lot of people have seen it. I ha- I owned it on VHS. I loved it so much. It's uh, a really great Jake Kasdan movie who he hasn't done a whole lot, but it came out in the 90s. Very good. But there's one line that Ryan O'Neill has in it when he's explaining how he's being blackmailed. He talks about how you cannot buy someone's silence. You can only rent it. What do you do about it? Because you can't buy silence. You can only rent it. So if somebody has something on you, they're always going to have it. So the cost has no ceiling. And the fear has no end. And I think that's a really good point. When you're when you're when you're having these sorts of flings and the person's like, hey, don't worry, I won't say anything. That person's like sweet off the hook. But you're not because her saying that her agreeing to not say anything is not you buying her silence. It's you renting it. She can still say anything she wants whenever she wants. This is not safe. Here I am giving tips to people who want to cheat on their significant other. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she shows up with all these groceries and Clint is very like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is messed up. Like, there's a telephone and she's like, fine, I'll leave. And she gets all upset and he's like, no, like, I'm not trying to, like, kick you out. It's just like. Yeah, he is playing a very man role where he's just like, hey. I am a I'm a disconnected kind of guy. I do not like this kind of relationship unless I'm ready for it. I will call you. And that is the only time we will initiate interaction. It's a very kind of chauvinistic way of thinking about it. But to his end, like I did not give my consent for you to like come over here whenever you wanted and just invade my life. We agreed that this was going to be a one time thing. If I wanted to see you again, I would let you know. Yeah, and then she says, okay, so why don't we do it that way next time? How do you like your steak? Extremely rare, which I thought was random to keep in the film. And so does she, which might be a sort of runaway bride thing where she likes her eggs however her significant other likes likes their eggs. Yes. uh Yes, that's right. With a priest, you wanted scrambled. With with a deadhead, it was fried. With the other guy, the bug guy, it was was poached. Now it's like, oh, uh, egg whites only. Thank you very much. And he says, I thought... We weren't going to be, I thought there were no tr- strings attached. And she says, that's true, but I never said anything about coming back for seconds. Yeah. And so he sleeps with her again. But the next morning when she's leaving, they're outside talking and his neighbor comes out and is like, hey, some of us are trying to sleep in here. And that's when he first gets a glimpse of how really, truly crazy this lady is. She screams at this uh, at this neighbor, how'd you like to go screw yourself? And then honks the horn really loud. Hey, people trying to sleep here. <sighs> people trying to talk here. How'd you like to tell it to the law? How'd you like to go screw yourself? And the look on Clint's face is great because he's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, so we should probably talk about this. We don't know her. She's not a real person. But if we were to diagnose her just based on what we see in the film, uh, there have been people that have written articles about this. It seems like she is demonstrating symptoms of borderline personality disorder. Basically, you 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 don't do a very good job regulating your emotions. And so you have wild swings in emotion. This is different than bipolar disorder. Um, But you're just really, really, I guess, uh, volatile. And you could explode it at any minute. 
We haven't even said who the actress is yet, I just realized. You're right. Uh, Jessica Walter. Oh, and we love Jessica Walter We've for seen two her in, shows. We've seen her in one other thing on this podcast. Oh, we have? Yeah, she's one of the sisters from the- Home what? for the Holidays? Home for the Holidays, yes. Uh-huh. Which sister was she's she? The, she's the sister who commits suicide. Oh, she's the, the she's crazy. The drunk. She's the alcoholic she's one. She's the, the alcoholic, yeah. Okay, right. but we love her from two TV shows. Uh, Arrested Development and <laughs> where Archer, she, where she's the, the matriarch in both of them. And she's basically the drunk yes. rich mother, <laughs> and she's so great. She's so funny. Yeah, uh-huh. So it's weird seeing her as a hot chick. Yeah. Because we're so used to her as the old mother who is an alcoholic. <laughs> But yeah, so he's just like, hey, you know, like, people are trying to sleep. And she's like, you're right. It's such a beautiful morning. Why be selfish with it? Yeah, and she does. She just goes right back into being all sweet. Yeah. After being insane. Yep. So she leaves. He goes into town, and he thinks he sees his old girlfriend. I'd like to point out that he just jumps out of his car, doesn't lock it, doesn't put the top up, nothing. Yep. Like... Okay, even if you live in a town where you're not afraid of people stealing your car, which is crazy to me. It's the 70s. It's a small town. I can tell you my grandpa would leave his keys in his truck when he went into the store. Even so, though, leaving the top down on such a gorgeous car, fucking birds can poop on it. People can spit in it. People can throw their gum in there. You don't know. Hey, man, that's not how Carmel by the Sea was. You can't help what a bird will do, especially you're right by the sea. There's tons of seagulls Uh who do not give a shit. (laughs) He's not. He's he needs to catch this person. He's not thinking about the time it would take to put up his top. Um, But so he catches this girl, but it's not her. And he like races after. Yeah. At first, it really seems like he's just like hot girl. I'm going to go after (laughs) hot girl. And then he he does this thing where he's like, oh, and when she turns around, it's like, I'm sorry. You're not who I thought you were going to be. And he turns away, and I'm like, this is a bit, isn't it? This is how he picks up on chicks. <laughs> like, oh, I thought you were someone else. And he turns away, and she's like, you're David, aren't you? <laughs> like, wait, what's going on here? And we come to find out that this is his ex-girlfriend's new roommate. Who is wearing her jacket. Her sweater, yeah. So mm. that's why he thought it was her. Yeah, and she couldn't keep her big mouth shut. Yeah, so she tells him... That she's back in town. So he immediately goes to see her. And she's got this friend, this gay friend, who has the whole 60s dialogue. And so does she. And it's really like, we're in the scene, man. Yeah. You uh, know? But he was the one who was trying to keep her in Sausalito away from David because he knew that she was better at creating her art when she wasn't with him. Yes, she is an artist, and he just would constantly cheat on her. Mm-hmm. He's upset, and the and he tells the uh, he tells the gay friend, "Kill yourself, just go after some sailors." And he's like, "Oh, don't talk to me about seafood." <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Which I at the time I couldn't decide. Like, is this progressive or regressive? Like, I just I couldn't. For the time, it was progressive. I would think, right? Yeah. Regressive for now, progressive for then. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um. So they're having a conversation, him and this girl, and there's these two cuts 
where in the middle of their conversation, they go from one location to another, but they are in the middle of the same conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what are you doing, Clint? What is this direction? I think it's supposed to imply that they converse really well together and they spend a lot of time just talking and it works really well for them. I don't think it. No, I think that was intentional. I think it was entirely intentional. And it's a very quippy conversation. Like, it yeah. does not feel real at all. Like, everything they say, they've got another quip to, to fire back with. But he ends it by saying, I'm trying to tell you I only love you. And I'm sorry for the way that I treated you. And I'm going to try not to do that this time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but it's not just me. You also have a problem. And audience, are you ready for the reason that he gives for why he couldn't handle her? Because it is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Share it with us, Kelsey. She goes through roommate after roommate, and he doesn't like them. Yeah. You get a little bit of the blame, too, you know. You and that parade of roommates that keep moving in and out of your place. I didn't realize they were such a trial to you. What trial? I enjoyed it. You and I sitting in front of the fireplace. And then some chick sitting there with a bathrobe on, eating fig newtons. (laughs) What about the one with the St. Bernard? (laughs) She was a real winner. She took up enough space, and then that other one, the one that took the flute lessons. Yeah, well, uh, maybe it was a little rough on you, huh? It is really weird. It is the dumbest thing. No, I mean, it is really weird that she goes through roommate after roommate. No, she explains, my house is very far from town, and girls don't realize that. And then once they do and they have to go back and forth, they're like, oh, this is not good for me. Right, and she can't afford to live there on her own. Yes. So she just constantly cycles through roommates. But she's really quick to pick them up. They're always young, attractive women, and they're always like annoying David. (laughs) But I'm just like, that's your reason? Yeah. You cheated on her and so you suck, but she sucks because she has roommates? Yeah. Fucking kidding me? Can you also talk about how Toby's a cute name? I like Toby. It's a cute name. God. But he's like, you know, she that hasn't changed. And he's saying that I I need to get past that. That's your life. And I still want to be in it. Yeah, but she tells him, I just don't know if I'm ready or not. Yeah, she needs time. So he leaves. He goes to his bar. The sardine factory. And there is a phone call for him while he's in there. Yeah. And it's it's the chick again. And he, he tells him, no, say I'm not here. And he does. And then we cut to her in a phone booth right outside. And she can see his gorgeous car. So she knows he's there. Yeah, But he doesn't stick around. He leaves shortly thereafter. Um, and when he gets to his car, she's sitting in it. Yes. And he's just like, what the fuck? And she's like, well, why wouldn't you take my call? And he's like, because I shouldn't have to if I don't want to. Yeah, where is it written that I need to take everyone's call? And so he's like, you need to get out of my car. I need to go. And she takes his keys. And she's, like, talking to him like a dog, like, good boy, and, you know, sit uh-huh. and do this stuff. And she's got this ridiculous laugh. Come on, give me the key. Come on. <laughs> give me the key. 
I, I think she's trying to show us a crazy person because we've seen her as an actress and we know that she's not a bad actress. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it was a little over the top. Yeah. But again, her character's kind of over the top. So, and then he he's like grabbing at her and these people come out of the bar and they're like, hey, lady, do you need help? And then she does her crazy thing Well, again. he says... Oh, get lost, yeah, assholes. get lost, assholes. And she goes, and, yeah! And she screams it. Get lost, assholes! And he's just like, what the Whoa, fuck? okay. <laughs> Damn it. Having some trouble, lady? Get lost! Yeah, get lost, assholes! Yeah, let's split. He's got enough trouble already. Yeah, excuse me. It's It reminded me a lot of the scene from Terminator 2. Yeah. When he is... When he's yelling at the Terminator and these two dudes show up and they're like, hey, you need help, little kid? And he's like, get lost, asshole. I forget what he says, but it's very similar. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And uh, they're like, what the fuck? You okay, kid? Take a hike, Bozo. Let's get out of here. Fuck you, you little dipshit. I mean, it's the point where, like, even when he's treating her like this... She's okay with it. She does not mind at all. Even when she might have these wild swings of emotion and be upset and she'll start crying out of nowhere, she will also immediately turn on a dime and be like, no, don't go. Like that sort of thing. Because any attention from him is better than no attention from him. I forget why, but he ends up taking her to his house for some reason. Not exactly. He leaves her there that time. And she just shows up at his house again when he's home that night wearing a coat and she takes off her coat and she's naked and he grabs the coat, puts it back on her and shuffles her inside because he doesn't want any of his neighbors to see this. Yeah, but I don't know that I'd sleep with her again. Like at this point, he should be very concerned and he should be being like, honey, you need to you need to stop. He should be kicking her out. At this point, her behavior has gotten way over the top, but he sleeps with her anyway. And she has, when he, when he wakes up, she has written on his uh, mirror her, their initials, and she put loves, and she put it in a heart. Uh-huh. Which, again, like, at this point, Clint Eastwood, why aren't you being like, oh, fuck me? And he's like, no, I have to go to work. I have to record this special. I gotta, I gotta do the writing. I gotta find the poetry. I gotta record it so I can provide it to Madge, who owns this radio station where he's trying to get a job. She's the grandma that they were talking. He was talking to Al about earlier, and she's talking about how, oh, when we're we gonna go out again? And he's like, I will call you. She's like, well, I'll be free on Thursday, and he says, I will call you when I want to see you again. Yeah. And this day comes around and she calls him upset that he forgot their date. Yeah, but before that, he has another conversation with the with with Al. Al. And he's like, dude, why why are you doing this? Like, you just told me that your ex is back in town. He's just like, I don't know, it's my hang up. And he goes, he who lives by the sword will yeah. die by the sword. I have that written down, too. Yeah. It's very true. Uh-huh. Well, you know what they always say, my man. No. What? He who lives by the sword shall die by the sword. But yeah, so she is very upset because she thought he was coming over. And she says, don't you love me anymore? 
And it's just like, I never said I did. I never lied to you. You were the one who told me yeah. that this was a one-time thing. And he goes over, not because he wants to see her, but because he's like, we need to talk. Because you need to get this through your thick skull. This is it. It's over. Yeah, and so she's screaming things at him. You're not even good in bed. Uh-huh. <laughs> All this stuff. As he and drives he, away quickly and angrily. Yes. He does not suffer fools lightly. <laughs> and as soon as he gets home, the phone is ringing. And she's saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean those things. I said, I love you. And he hangs He just up. hangs up on her. And then she calls again. He picks up, hangs up, and then leaves the phone off the hook. Yeah, the next time we really see her is when he's out with toby they're having like this picnic in this clearing by the beach and then we see this whole scene and then it pans up to the tree line and we see evelyn in the tree line and it was creepy as fuck (laughs) that was very effective yes i think they did a really good job at that i agree and she confronts him And he's like, I don't know what to say to you. Like, you're insane, basically. And she's like, I don't care how many ways you say it. It's not true. I know you love me. Yeah. And she she rushes in and she's like, where is she? (laughs) Where is the hussy or whatever, you know? And she doesn't find anybody. And she immediately profusely apologizes. And yeah. yeah. Uh huh. And he's like, I'm going to drive you home. Get cleaned up and then I'm driving you home and she's in the bathroom and then he doesn't hear anything from her for a while. He hears water. Yeah. But it's a lot of water and it's going on for a long time and then she won't come out and he opens up the door and he sees that she has cut her wrists and she falls to the floor. Yes. And so he calls a doctor that he knows who looks at them and he's like, I don't know, they're pretty superficial. I think she might have been doing this just as a call for help. Type yeah, of thing. Uh-huh. And I need to report this. And David's like, you really can't. Yeah. And he's like, okay, fine. You know, you're my buddy. I won't report it. But, like, get her out of here. Like, let her recuperate. I've given her some some drugs. She'll wake up this afternoon because David's like, I have a date tonight. I can't, I can't have her here all day. And she's like, no, she should wake up at least by five. And then you can get her out of here. And we cut to her lying in bed, and her eyes are wide open. Yes, she is definitely listening. And it's actually pretty sweet. He's, like, bringing her food and is going to take care of her, even though he really doesn't have to. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a sensitive, it's a sensitive topic dealing with suicide attempts in others. And, like, how do you deal with that? And at what point, even if you know you're being used, at what point do you take care of that person? And at what point do you say that's enough, even when there's a risk that they might go through with it again? Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So, but when he brings her food, almost in a threatening way, she says, it can't be good for you. A girl commits suicide in a disc jockey's home won't do well for your publicity at all. Yeah, that's why I won't say anything kind of thing. Like, she cares about him, but it's very obviously a threat. Yes. He calls his girlfriend, Toby, and she's like, you know what? Would you be disappointed if we just stayed in tonight? I've been thinking to hell with Sausalito. And that's her basically saying, I want to get back together. Yeah. And he's really excited, but bitch won't let him go. She demands basically to be held again 
to be held tightly, as tight as you can. And they're laying in bed, or he's sitting up in bed, and she's laying on him, and she's happy as a clam, and he's just staring straight ahead. And then cut to the same position, except it's very obviously nighttime. He has not moved. He missed this date with Toby, and he looks pissed. Yeah, as he should be. I don't know it's why a fantastic he doesn't cut shot. her out. I don't know why he doesn't kick her out. Because he's legitimately worried that she'll about do it. something. Yeah, and and partly I'm sure because he doesn't want that on his conscience, and partly because he knows it would be a scandal. This is the whole reason why he needed to keep the doctor quiet about it. The next day, she's gone, and he's just like, okay. And his maid shows up, and him and his maid have a very birdie. Yeah, have a very cute like back and forth relationship, and she's giving him shit. Because she knows him, and she knows that he sleeps with women all the time, mm-hmm. so this is not a surprise to her to find this room looking like it does. And she basically makes a joke that basically says, once you go black, you'll never go back. Like, it's a joke like, oh, you couldn't handle me, or whatever. Yeah, uh-huh. Like, it's, it's very Nothing funny. else would satisfy you. Yeah, uh-huh. But it's obvious that they don't have a romantic relationship. Yes. And he's got that big business lunch. This is when it's going to happen. He could potentially get this big radio show in San Francisco, which is right by Monterey Bay. But in the meantime, she has taken his keys. Yeah, she's taken his car into town to, to, uh, to buy stuff to make him food again. And while she's out... She makes a copy of his keys. Yes. And then she basically follows him to the restaurant. And he's there having lunch with this lady and he's doing really well and she's very interested in him. And up walks Evelyn and she is raging. Yeah. Um, my God, she's a little old for you, don't you think? And then she's like saying shit about her. Is that your idea of a dish? My God, she's a little old for you, isn't she? What is this, be kind to senior citizens week? Get out of here. It's not that I mind you being a bastard, but do you have to be such a tasteless bastard? Stop it, you son of a bitch! She could get laid in a lumber camp! Stop it, you son of a bitch! It shows you how over the edge she is, that with her being like, she's old for you, this is a little ridiculous. Why on earth would you be on a date with her? That that doesn't loop back in her brain and go, yeah, why on earth would he be? Maybe this isn't a date. She can't see that. She has really, she has a lot of trouble because there's even a smidge of a chance that Madge is actually going out with him. She flips. And so Madge, the late, the name of the lady who works for the radio station, apparently did not appreciate that and yeah. just walked up and left. Uh, and left his demo tape there as well, his demo reel. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a big bummer. So Because she was totally into him coming to their station and having his own show and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. During this exchange, he throws her into his car. Not into a taxi. Into a taxi. And she's like, you're hurting me. Don't leave me. I love you. And then she like throws her hands out the window and she's like grabbing at him and she looks insane. And it's really good acting. um, But again, maybe a little over the top. But at the same time. She's supposed to be. She's a crazy lady. Yeah. He tells the taxi driver, like, get her out of here. And he's like, where to, buddy? And he's like, get her out of here. He probably should have been more specific. Take her to fucking New York. Like, get her Away from here. 
So after that, he goes to see Toby and apologizes for everything. And he tells her the truth. He tells her about this crazy lady. Uh-huh. And during this time, we see her watching them again and she crushes a branch. Yeah. So she goes back to his house where she now has a copied key for. Her. Uh-huh. And so we we know this happens because Bertie shows up again to clean his, his house again and everything is just destroyed. All his furniture is carved up and the stuffing tossed everywhere. Stuff is knocked over. It's like glass is shattered. The place is just absolutely destroyed. And as Bertie's looking around going, "Oh my god, What's what's happening? Who did this? And she she turns a corner and there's Evelyn who charges at her with a knife and starts slashing at her and attacks Bertie. For all we know, Bertie is dead. Yeah. When Dave shows up and he sees what's going on, the cops are already there and they're taking Bertie away in an ambulance. And she's like, this is going to cost you double to clean up. <laughs> so she's still alive she doesn't blame him, which is good for him, but it's obviously awful for her. And good that she's good-natured, but, like, Dave is, oh, my God. But Evelyn's still there. She's being interviewed by the police, and this one cop is like, hey, we need to talk about your girlfriend. He's like, she is not my girlfriend. Yeah, uh-huh. I think she needs psychiatric help. And the the cop is kind of- Sergeant McCallum is his name. Sergeant McCallum is a little strange. Like, I like their relationship for the rest of the film, but in this exchange, it's like very obviously, obviously she knows who attacked her. She knows it was this crazy lady. No, but he needs to know why. And when David is not forthcoming, that makes him very suspicious. And if he can't figure out a motive, like, how is he going to prosecute her, <laughs> you know? So he does not really trust Dave, but he he knows what happened. So he doesn't give him a too hard a time, but he's like, something suspicious going on. Especially since, like, uh, she had scars on her wrist. That's what he brings up. Yeah. She had scars on her wrist. Do you know what that's about? And he says he has no idea. Yeah, so he doesn't believe him. So after they take her away, that's when we get the montage of Clint Eastwood and his girlfriend Toby having this amazing evening out on the on the beach and sex and everything. And it's all to the first time ever I saw your face. And if you don't know that song, you should really listen to it. It's a beautiful song. The first time ever I saw And he pl- they play the entire song, and we see them walking along on the beach, having sex next to a waterfall. <laughs> it's just... I mean, it's really sweet, but at a certain point in this movie, I was like, this movie could be at least 10 minutes shorter than it is. I agree. It's a little long, but I like this montage. Yeah. <laughs> I like the song. So then th- this part could have completely been cut out. They go to a jazz festival where nothing happens. This is the actual Monterey Jazz Festival. <laughs> but like. It was happening in real time. These are real people. And, you know, he's a he's a jazz DJ. I, I understand. I understand I why it's I in the movie, but it doesn't need to be in the movie. Right. 
He goes with Toby and Al and some woman Al is seeing. No, it's Toby's roommate. Oh, is it? Yeah, because later she says, I have to drop her off because she's moving out. I'm getting another roommate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a part where a jazz musician is scatting. And all I could think of was, I'm the scat man. (laughs) (laughs) And there's this whole part where they sing hand jive and like uh people are dancing and it's like, why? Why? Apparently Clint Eastwood really liked jazz and he wanted to make sure it was in the movie. (laughs) And then, like I said, like she leaves and she's going to pick up her new roommate. So this is already... The third roommate since they've gotten together. Yeah. And this one's name is Annabelle. Well, don't be so fucking obvious about it. <laughs> but it's like they came for like one song and then they left. Well, yeah, and then she leaves, yeah. But later on, time has passed, obviously, with this montage and they're at the festival. And I think they calculate that it's like Four months based on what was going on when the jazz festival actually takes place in real life. People figure out it's about four months that pass. And then he gets a call from Evelyn and he's like, what the fuck? Shouldn't you be in prison? And she's like, well, actually, I was in the sanatorium and I've been released. And I'm moving to Hawaii. Yeah, I'm I'm not don't worry, I'm not anywhere nearby. I'm in San Francisco right now and I'm I'm about to get on a plane to Hawaii. I just want to say how sorry I am about everything. Forget it, I have. I hope so. Because this maiden she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by you. And she says, "Just I ask you one favor for you. Just can you play Misty for me?" And he does. He he plays Misty for her. That night, he he wakes up in the middle of the night, and Misty is playing. Now, this is another part of the film where I'm like, uh, Clint, you need to work on your directorial skills, because I thought it was a dream. Yeah, and I also couldn't tell what was diegetic and what wasn't. That was another concern. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit unclear there. Uh, and it took me a while to figure out that, yes, the music was actually playing. And then you find out that, no, she actually was there. And she actually did try to stab him, but somehow missed. Yeah. And his reactions are like, <laughs> and he goes searching for her and he's in his tidy whities Yeah. Oh, no. I got to say. It's a bad look for anyone. <laughs> tidy whities make 70s hairdos look ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. Um, and so then he's like, I better change my locks. And it's like, what? How have you not changed your locks? Right, she you know she broke in keys. earlier. Yeah, uh-huh. Well, I don't think he he made that connection. Even McCallum is like, promise me you'll change your locks. <laughs> but yeah, she gets away and he doesn't know what, he doesn't know where she went. And McCallum's like, she was paroled was, yeah. pending further legal action. And he said, does that mean she's all right? And he says, theoretically. <laughs> <laughs> And he's staying with him because he's worried about him. But at the radio station, he's like, wait, shouldn't somebody be watching Toby? And it's just like, yes, someone should be watching Toby. Jesus Christ. So while he is at the station, uh, he's playing his music and he does the whole like, you know, anyway, he he gives his announcements and, and then music is playing and we can see that Toby is listening to his program. And while he's looking up new poetry to read, he finds, coincidentally, 
It's a pretty strong coincidence, unfortunately. Uh, he finds a poem that she quoted to him when she called him earlier. No, he, because Sergeant McCallum kept asking him, what did she say? What did she say? And he's like, why does it matter? Uh-huh. And he's telling him, everything matters until we find her. And he can't remember what she said. And then he remembers what she said, and he knows uh, that's an Edgar Allan Poe poem, and he looks it up, and the name of the poem is Annabelle Lee. Because this maiden she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by you. And this is the same moment that we cut back to Toby, and we find out that her new roommate is Evelyn, posing as Annabelle, and that fucking blew my Mine. <laughs> I did not see that coming. I feel so stupid <laughs> for not seeing that coming. I was just like, oh, this is just the fun quirk about Toby, how she has all these these uh, new roommates, and we get their name every time. Yeah. So the fact that we get a name in this one, like, you don't even think about it. Yeah. And I, I wrote down, oh, shit. <laughs> I did not see that coming. What a way to snap me out of my complacency. Yeah. Like, I knew because she was out and about that something bad was going to happen to Toby. She was going to get kidnapped or something. But the way they revealed that was just mwah, perfect. It was very good. We also know, though, that the detective is on his way. So we're like, eh, I'm not too concerned. Uh, at this point, but, but Evelyn, be. but Evelyn doesn't know about this. Yeah, you definitely should be because he realizes what's happening. He play, he replays one of his previous episodes. That's the first recording he did uh, at the beginning of the movie where she first calls in and asks to play Misty for him, and um, where he says music to be very, very nice to each other by. <laughs> Uh, and so he plays that, and he's racing there, and it it's this really cool uh, juxtaposition of shots of him racing down the streets very loudly in his in his in his convertible, cut with stuff that's happening back at Toby's house. It's like, and then stuff happening at Toby's house. And it's it it keeps the momentum up and keeps it going, and I thought it was it was really good. But I wrote, too bad the detective is on his way, but Evelyn doesn't know that. <laughs> and then my next line is, whoops, detective was no help. He shows up and then is immediately stabbed by Evelyn. Just like in The Shining. Just immediately. Yes. Yes. Just like in The Shining, which happened nine years later. Mm-hmm. So maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, the way that Toby finds out is because quote-unquote, Annabelle looks at the picture, the painting yeah. of Clint Eastwood that we saw earlier in the film. And she's talking about how great she's done, like, what a good job she is. she's doing. And he goes, but you didn't quite get his eyes right. His eyes are golden. And Toby's like, I didn't realize you two were friends. And she turns and she's like, God, you're dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's really good. And yeah, and that's when I wrote, oh, shit, son. And then she comes after him. Yeah. There are also some really bizarre music choices around this time. Throughout the whole movie, we talk about it. But here especially, when David finally shows up and he finds McCallum dead, there's like this this really funky beat that's playing. I wrote, the 60s music is not appropriate for this scene. <laughs> well, here's the thing. What we're listening to is his recording of that night. 
We're oh. hearing. That's a, it's very unclear. Yeah. But it takes a while to dawn on you. It's not until the very end of the movie that you realize it because otherwise it's not communicated very well. Mm-hmm. Um, even like when she when he he's walking through the house and all of a sudden she attacks him, slashes at him and then runs off again. And it's like dead silent. And then she runs off. And then the music starts up again. So it's like, okay, this is obviously not diegetic, mm-hmm. but it is. She is playing his radio program there at the house. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's really weird. But I write here, stops again. She attacks him again. And as I'm writing, of course, the Eastwood solution was to punch her square in the fucking face as i'm writing this (laughs) he punches her right just once once that's all it takes that's all he needs she tumbles through the glass panel wall over the edge of this balcony that we're talking about from the very beginning of the movie falls down this cliff smacks her face into the side of the cliff and then falls onto the tiny beach below absolutely fucking dead and then an upbeat jazzy tune is playing so weird especially since like yeah i get now that it's diegetic and that that's what he was playing that night but they got they got to choose the filmmakers were able to choose what music he played like they could have they could have done anything make it at least a little more like congruous but uh, nope but then we we cut back to the radio and we hear the clip from the beginning of him introducing Misty, especially for Evelyn. And then that's the end of the movie. Toby's we fine. Do, we do see her like floating in the water. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, but yeah, Toby's fine. There are only two deaths, Evelyn and McCallum, and that's it. Uh, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> That's what I wrote down here. Chris rewinded it awesome. to watch it again. <laughs> it's just pop one punch. <laughs> the Eastwood solution: a single punch square in the face. And and this is after like she's coming at him with a knife, and he's just being defensive, and he's getting all cut up, and then he's like, Ugh. he's just getting angrier and angrier until <laughs> finally he just unloads one on her, as as well she deserved. Yes. Like, ugh, that was that was what a great ending, and it totally like the moment it's revealed that she is Annabelle. Just I was really starting to be like, uh, come on, movie, get on with it, cut some of this down and that just snapped me right out of it it had me again from there to the end is like a span of 10 minutes maybe and it is so good love the ending of this movie so uh lightning round kelsey i have a few things but they're really not worth it at one point toby is talking about like you know they're talking about their relationship and david's saying like no i'm gonna be true to you and you know just because there's there's this other i think it's even before he he reveals that there's this crazy woman following him she talks about the one thing she hates more than anything in the whole world is a jealous woman because that's what she doesn't want to be Mm. and she gets jealous when she's with him and she hates that and the one thing she hates more than anything in the world is a jealous woman you know the thing i hate the most in the whole world is a jealous female and that's what i was getting to be Obvious foreshadowing, but it's kind of nice. At one point, somebody, I had just written down here, um, you're just going to leave that torch burning? And then that's literally, but obviously somebody has a torch that 
um, you're just going to leave that torch burning. I don't know if that's intentional or what, but it's there. Also, apparently it was originally going to, he was going to be an L.A. DJ, and he insisted that it happened in Carmel because he loved the area. So apparently Gene Shepard, the voice of the adult Ralphie from Christmas Story, claims that the story is based on his real life where he had an obsessive stalker, a female fan, and ultimately she did attack him with a knife and try to stab him. But that's just his claim. We don't know. You know, it could be based on anybody. I'm sure this happens quite a bit. And finally, I want to mention that Jessica Walter was nominated for a Golden Globe in 1972 for Best Actress in a Motion Picture Drama for her role in this movie. Wow. Good for her. With that said, Kelsey, what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 83. Holy shit. That's exactly right. Hey. 83%. A coolly calculating psychological thriller that manages to scare the audience, even if it's just using textbook thrills. Metacritic of 78. Would you say that 83 is overrated or underrated? It's a tough one. Maybe just slightly overrated. What would you give it? I'd probably give it an 80. You know, I was thinking probably pretty close to that. Like I said, it really, really sags in the middle. Yeah. But the ending totally makes up for that. Yeah, it's it's just, it's a little long. And maybe Jessica Walter is a little over the top. But, I mean, she's kind of supposed to be. Exactly. So, yeah. That's what, that's what tips it into 80 for me. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I really, really like it. So you should watch it, even if we describe this to you. It just has this really funky feel. You get to see young Clint e- well, not even young Clint Eastwood, middle-aged Clint Eastwood. <laughs> God, how old is he? He's in his 80s right now, I think. Let me see. He was born in 1930, so he's approaching 90. So when this came out, he was he was 41. Wow. He doesn't look 41. Yeah. He was a handsome man. There was a reason my mom really liked him. (laughs) All right, Kelsey, that was 1971's Play Misty for me. Before we move on to our next stalker movie, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition, why don't you give me what you got? The American outpost in 1982's The Thing is located on what continent? Antarctica. That's correct. Antarctica. Yeah. It's hard to say. Antarctica. Kelsey, this is really timely. In what 1997 film does one of the criminals rewind the film itself to prevent the death of his partner? Funny games. That is correct. Yep. I feel like I'm getting on people's nerves talking about how much I dislike Haneke. <laughs> I just posted about it, and yeah, I'm sorry if you're a fan of Haneke. I just am not. Exactly. I see what he tried to do. Doesn't necessarily mean I enjoyed it. He did some remarkable stuff. Yeah. I can't remember what I even gave that movie. What did I give it? I think he's a good filmmaker. That doesn't mean that I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah, I gave the original a 60. (laughs) I guess because of all that subtext stuff that I just wasn't a big fan of. Uh, Anyway... Moving on to our next film, 2002's Swim Fan, 
Written by Charles Bull and Philip Schneider, directed by John Polson, starring Jesse Bradford, Erica Christensen, and Shiri Appleby. What is Swim Fan about, Kelsey? A high schooler who is in a relationship, cheats on his girlfriend with a new girl, and she also becomes obsessive and crazy. Should people see this movie, Kelsey? If you have seen Play Misty for me, if you have seen Fatal Attraction, you do not need to see Swim Fan. Absolutely not. It is almost the exact same movie just set in high school. It was a ubiquitous joke, I think, when I was in, I guess I was in college at the time. But it was everywhere. Like, everyone around our age knows what Swim Fan is. I wonder how many of them have actually seen the movie. <laughs> I remember seeing it in high school. This movie made me mad. I was mad. It's not a great movie. It's not. I will say, stick around because it does one thing real well. <laughs> and I would like to talk about that. So you can watch it or not, but we would suggest you don't. And when we get back, we will talk about 2002's Swim Fan. Ben Cronin thought he had it all. Scouts are coming next week. It might actually happen, huh? Yeah. Can you picture it? Good friends. Oh, I just remember why we broke up, John. She couldn't handle me in bed, or <laughs> and a bright future. So, Madison Bell. What's the letter for, Ben Cronin? The letter is for swimming. Are you good? I'm okay. Yeah. But he never imagined. What are you doing here? One moment. It's okay, I want you to. Could change everything. You want to pretend like it never happened? Girlfriend. Don't worry about me. I got somebody waiting for me in New York. You have 81 new emails. I know what you're doing. No emails, no visits, nothing. I'm with Amy. Ben, get back here. Where is she? She's not good enough for you. Swim fan. I'm starting to think you don't appreciate me. Kelsey. Mm hmm. Will you please get us started on SwimFan? We open on our main character. What's his name? Ben Cronin. Ben Cronin, who has like this perfect life. He has this perfect girlfriend. He's on the swim team. The Stanford Scouts are coming out to see him. And he's doing really well. We also see Erica, who plays the cello. And also seems to have a kind of a perfect life. She's very rich, etc. Etc. Madison Bell, by the way, is the name of the character. Erica Christensen is the name of the actress. Oh, sorry. We get to meet Ben's friends, and like he's got this one really cocky friend, Josh, Josh. who's also on the swim team, who is his rival. But in reality, Ben is always the better swimmer, and. He knocks into this guy who they call Dante, who is Madison. Christopher Dante. Yes, who is Madison Bell's cousin for some reason. Play and for some reason played by James DeBello, <laughs> who like if you see him, you know him, you'll recognize him. Like, uh, why? Because okay, so he is hard of hearing. He wears hearing aids, and in real life, no. Oh. <laughs> character does. And he wears thick glasses, and he's supposed to be 
maybe he's he has Asperger's syndrome or maybe he is autistic. He's slow in some way. He doesn't get along with people. And for some reason, he's played by like bulky, usually plays a dickhead character, James DeBello. Like what? What was that choice? I do not get it. <laughs> but okay, fine. He bumps into him, and as soon as Josh realizes who it was, and he's because he's walking backwards, Josh is, and he bumps into somebody because he's walking backwards and tells them to watch where they're going. And when the guy turns around, he sees that it's Christopher Dante, and he's like, oh, uh, never mind, we're cool. And at first you think it's because, oh, he's... M- He's a big dude. Mentally disabled. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you're thinking that, oh, he's just like, oh, shit, I shouldn't be bothering a mentally disabled yeah. person. But then he says, that guy is crazy. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, like, he's afraid of him. Well, he's also a big dude. So I guess that's the decision, is that he needs to be about, like, these guys. He needs to be athletically fit for one purpose and one purpose only at the end of the movie. But then, again, we see Ben with his girlfriend. We saw her earlier. They were having sex in their Amy. car. Uh, but then they see her, and she and he's telling her the Stanford scouts are coming. And she's like, it's a problem because I'm already going to Rhode Island for college. And you might be going to California. And we'll be across right. the country from each other. And he's like, that won't change how I feel about you. I love you, but... We soon find out that uh, if he did go to California, I'm pretty sure he'd cheat the shit out of her. Listen, okay, so they don't set Ben up like he's a great guy. We find out fairly early on in the movie that he had a troubled life. He was a drug addict. He would steal to get these drugs. And when he was finally caught and taken to juvie, he was tasked with cleaning these these Olympic-sized swimming pools that they had there at the juvie facility. And he ended up spending all of his time there. And he he realized he really loved swimming and he became a good swimmer. And he was able to focus on that. And that's how he got clean. He doesn't have a good past. But other than that story they have for him, he's like this, you know, really clean cut, nice, successful, handsome young man who seems to have it all going for him. And in no way do they make him out like he's an asshole, except... When with when Madison Bell is concerned, when it's like, dude, you are a fucking dick. You have a girlfriend. Yeah. So that's kind of the huge difference between him and Clint Eastwood is that Clint Eastwood, while being still in love with his girlfriend. He was still a time, womanizer. He wasn't with her. She was his ex. Right. But he was a womanizer. But still, we find out that. Clint Eastwood was cheating on his girlfriend when he had her. So yeah. and is when, there really that big of a difference between them? Well, because when we see them, he's like, he makes decisions not only selfishly. He makes several decisions throughout the movie, David does, that are like, I need to make sure this girl doesn't hurt herself. And it's going to hurt me to make this decision. And it's going to suck, but this is the right thing to do. And that's the kind of David that we see in the movie. The kind of Ben we see in this movie is that he's already reached the point where he should be like David. But since he's just a fucking kid and he's not 41. That's the diff- That's the other thing. It's like he's a high school kid. Like, yeah. they they don't fucking know what they're doing. <laughs> what a f- now, but that's fine. Totally fine. But now I just think your main character is a dipshit. <laughs> 
And he's like, oh, I got you a gift. And she's all like, oh. And she opens it. And I'm like, that is an ugly ass necklace. Yeah, I don't even remember that. <laughs> anyway, um, and he's like, I'm giving this to you because I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. We also find out that Josh, his buddy, is also a really good swimmer, but not as good as Ben. He's excited that Ben is doing well because that because the Stanford scouts are going to show up, like Kelsey said earlier, because that means he's going to get exposure too. They come for Ben, but he'll also be there. You know, and maybe he can get that good Stanford exposure. Then there's this really strange cut, which brings him and Madison Bell alone in the hallway together. For some it's reason. really weird. There is not a soul in this hallway <laughs> all of a sudden. And they're like, oh, you don't want to be late for class. Obviously, you are already. Exactly. You're clearly already late, but she can't get into her hallway. They have this kind of, she can't get into her locker. In, into her locker. Yeah, and they have this kind of like meet cute moment where he's I can get into your locker for you but it's not like a saved by the bell sort of like elbows the locker and it pops open kind of thing no it's they have a spinning combination lock and there's a key hole in the middle of it and he takes her barrette to unlock it which I'm sorry a barrette anyone who's ever seen or held a barrette knows you're not going to pick a fucking lock with a barrette it's stupid, and I hate it, and it comes back <laughs> in an even worse way. So we find out that he used to be a thief, like Chris said, and he gets her into her locker. Then we have another cut, and suddenly he's at the hospital, where he is somehow, at a high school level, allowed to give out pills. Yeah, and he's somebody with a juvie record who was a drug addict. His mom is a doctor, and he volunteers there, and he hands out pills to, like, the elderly. Do they like just that. let volunteers do that? That seems really fucking dangerous. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so he brings in pills to this old dude who's a horny old man. He gives him Playboy cards. Yeah. <laughs> and that will come up later for some stupid reason. And then another cut to, uh, like, these just are rapid fire. They're, like, it is not a well-made movie. It tries to do these things where it's like, oh, can't you see the insanity of Madison Bell is reflected in the in the hard edits? And it's like, no. No, stop it. It's not insightful, and you're not doing it very well either. <laughs> to his girlfriend who works at a restaurant. And she then says, you know what? Maybe I'll go to Berkeley instead of Rhode Island, which my response yeah. <laughs> is, you were going to choose Rhode Island over Berkeley? Like, yeah, you could get into Berkeley Maybe I'll go to Berkeley instead. Like, what? I guess maybe because it's really expensive to go. She wasn't going to go. Yeah. She know. was going to go to a state university in Rhode Island. And then another cut. Because why would we stay in the same place for too long? Uh, so then he is driving home and he thinks he sees Madison Bell. And so he's not paying attention to the road. And then he suddenly looks back at the road and there's Madison Bell. And he almost right runs her over. Yeah, he almost runs her over. Um, so then he's like, oh, come on in. You know, I'll take you. I'll drive you home. And she's like, you really don't have to. And he's like, no, it's okay. That's the other thing, too. 
this is not set up in the same way as like she put herself in a position where he could meet her yeah. and be interested in her. He keeps running into her and then he He voluntarily, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I mean it's like he's making bad choices here. So he takes her back to his uh, to her place. And she's like, you're just a handy guy to have around, aren't you? And he's like, I'm handy all over the place. And it's like, what? Right, what? what? <sighs> Creepy. <laughs> and they're like having this conversation. And so I'm writing down this whole time, Jesus, man, you have a girlfriend. What the fuck? <laughs> Next note. Are you fucking serious? Because what happens here is he tells her he has a girlfriend, right? We should probably end this here. I have a girlfriend. It wouldn't be cool if I took you out. And she says, I'm not ready to say goodnight. And like, dude, how you don't, how that's not like red flags. She's trying to have a date with, this is a date for her. Like you just said, I have a girlfriend. And her response is, I'm not ready to say goodnight. You say, yeah, but I have a girlfriend. Good night. You're, you're skipping quite a bit here. And I'm going to take us back. We're going to get back to that. Okay. Because there's a couple things here that happen. So after he drops her off, he finds her notebook in the car. Which oh, is right. Very Ugh. obviously, she did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Right? And he should know that. That should be a very clear indicator. She is interested in you, and you really shouldn't be taking this any further. But he decides to take it back to her house. And his mom comments, you going out someplace nice? Because yeah. he gets all dressed up to see her. Yeah. So, look, I understand you meet people every day. And you might meet a person that you're like, oh, you're attractive or I like you. But if you're in a relationship, that's where that should end, right? If you are purposefully dressing up nice for this person, then you clearly don't give a shit. Like, if you're trying to get this other person attracted to you, you know what you're doing. Yeah. You know you're playing with fire. Like I said, this is not the same thing as it happened with Clint, where he walked into a bar and there was this lady. Right. It's also not like, okay, here's the thing about Shiri Appleby. She is attractive. She loves him. She is devoted to him. She does not in any way smother him but she is willing to do literally anything for him but not in like a smothering stifling kind of way she is like a perfect girlfriend in this movie perfect and it's not like madison bell is like some sexy fox like disagree i'm sorry i'm sorry it's it she's not like this knock like yes she's cute but she is not some fucking knockout that like, like I can't control myself around her. <laughs> and and it's not like she's playing hard to get in any way whatsoever. So it's not like, well, I, I, I feel like subconsciously I need a challenge. You'd still be a dick, but at least there would be some sort of explanation. This doesn't even have that. It's just because we wanted to write it that way and we needed to get there. But so he brings her her notebook and... Dante answers the door. Yeah, and because they're cousins and she's staying with him. And he's like, you don't have to be nice to me. Uh, You're already dating her. Which, huge red flag. 
Right. You're already dating her, which means that she has said something to the effect of you are dating. Yeah. Enormous red flag, considering you've met her twice for all of five minutes both times. Like, that should be a huge warning and you should walk away right away. But he doesn't. So as Chris says, he takes her out because she says, I haven't eaten all day. So I'm going to take you to dinner. Right. Okay. Like, at this point... God, never mind. Go on. And yeah, and then they sit down for dinner. And when they're done, like Chris said, he tells her, look, I should just be honest and say I have a girlfriend. Madison, I should tell you something. You have a girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah, you probably should have done that at the very beginning, you right. douchebag. She's like, well, I have somebody in New York waiting for me. Exactly. Don't worry about me. I've got somebody waiting in New York. But while I'm here, we're mm. on a break. Yeah. So I can do whatever I right. want. Right. So the fact that she has a boyfriend means nothing. Right. Obviously. So don't accept that as like making you feel better. Right. You're not off the hook. And he tries to tell her, well, hey, my friend Josh is interested. And she's like, I'm not interested in Josh. Yeah. For what it's worth, my friend Josh would gladly murder me and step over my dead body just to be sitting here right now with you. Thanks, but I'm not interested in Josh. Again, red flag. But yeah, as Chris says, she says, I'm not ready to say goodnight. And so what does he do? What does he do? What is his next step? After all of that, after saying, I need to be honest with you, I have a girlfriend. And she says, I have a boyfriend, but we're on a break. I'm not. Oh, so you should date my friend Josh. I'm not into Josh, implying that she's into you. What's your next move, people? What's your next move, audience? Is it... Take her to the pool at your school that where nobody is there, where it's completely deserted and you can be alone and you can be partially naked together. <laughs> is that your next move? Because it's his. You are fucking trash, Ben Cronin, and I do not feel sorry for you whatsoever. All the shit that happens to you, the only reason I care is because it affects other people. <laughs> you evoke zero sympathy in me, Ben Cronin. <laughs> and your girlfriend is so awesome. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I mean, like, what What else did he expect to happen here? He's in the pool. She gets in in her underwear. Yeah, and you're like, he doesn't say anything about that, by the way. Well, I mean... He just assumes she's just getting in. And I mean, you're not going to get in with your full clothes. Then don't get in. Maybe going to the pool was a bad idea. Yes, it was. But since they're here, that's what happens. And so she gets in and then she tells him, I can't swim. And he goes, oh, well, you need to learn how to float. And then immediately they are close together mm -hmm. in a pool. He's wearing a fucking Speedo. She's wearing her underwear. He's not wearing a Speedo, I don't think. I think he's wearing trunks. No, he's not. He's wearing a Speedo. You have to on the swim team. Uh, I know, but I, he's not on the swim team in this moment. He's, he's just wearing in a pool. a Speedo. Jesus Christ, it's even worse. <laughs> anyway. I literally wrote here at this point, if we weren't watching this for the show, I would have turned this movie off already. Yeah, and so uh, she tells him it can be our little secret or maybe not so little because apparently he's a big boy. Apparently. Um, and he he's like, uh, okay, <laughs> basically. Um, and yeah. then while they're having sex, she's like, tell me you love me. You don't have to mean it. Just say it. Tell me you love me. You don't have to mean it. Just say it for me. 
And so he does. I love you. Which was another really stupid decision. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But again, again, he's a high school kid. Doesn't mean I have to want to watch it. I understand. I get that. But what I'm saying is like, it's kind of believable because high school kids make stupid decisions all the time. Yeah. And he deserves what he gets. Does he deserve what no, he gets? you're right. You're right. He doesn't. <laughs> he just doesn't get any sympathy from me. And then she says afterwards, when he drops her off, she says, don't tell anybody, which makes him believe, okay, that was it. It was just this one time thing and we're good. You can't buy someone's silence. You can only rent it. True. Because you can't buy silence. You can only rent it. So if somebody has something on you, they're always going to have it. So when he gets to school that day, he is told by his girlfriend that there's going to be something waiting for him in there. And when he first gets to his locker, there's a tiny little, like, daisy in his lock. And when he opens it, he finds a card from his girlfriend. But when he walks up to his girlfriend about to say thank you... He's holding the card and the daisy. She takes the daisy and says, oh, is this for me? And he says, uh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, thank you for the card. Mm-hmm. So then he is at swim practice, and he's supposed to be focusing, but he can't. All he can think about is her. And Josh, so we're intercutting these edits together of him having sex with her. And Josh beats him in the yeah. race. Mm -hmm. Apparently, her his girlfriend's parents are gone for the weekend, so she's having a big party. So they're all at this party. And she is all excited to see her boyfriend. And she says, come and meet my new friend. What a fucking low rent impersonation of what happens in Play Misty for me. <laughs> Do you remember how excited I was when that happened in Play Misty for me? Yeah. And then we get fucking this. <laughs> Amy just can't stop talking about her perfect boyfriend. Even when I beg her to stop. <laughs> no tension. No lead up. No nothing. Mm -hmm. There is not the threat of murder at this point. Nope. It's just, oh shit, she might tell my secret. Yeah. And I kind of hope she does as an audience member because you are you are trash. <laughs> he sees that it's Madison and they're talking and then uh, this guy comes in. He's like, hey, dude, you got to move your car. And she goes, oh, I'll move your car for you. And after she leaves, Madison says, I think I left my panties in your car. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, fuck. Fuck! And he runs out there to get his car into his car before his girlfriend can. And but also she said to him, you know, like, when's my turn? When do I get to see you next? And he's like, no, no, no. This yeah. is just a one time thing. No, no, no. We are not doing this again. Um, Sound familiar? <laughs> yes. He ends up moving, getting the panties and it's fine. So that was just a nothing little yep. sequence. Just and some then tension. Just some mean meaningless tension. So then he's talking to his coach, and his coach is like, I don't know what's happening to you, but you need to get it to the fuck together, because the scouts are coming out. And his coach Dan Hedaya, by the way. <laughs> yes. He's like, and this is your whole future we're talking about here. And his beeper keeps going off. Okay. So my next, my next three notes, I have no idea what they relate to specifically in the movie, but they are in order. Oh, God, the early aughts internet aesthetic. <laughs> Oh, God, a pager. And, oh, God, the club. Do you remember the club? 
you know, the thing that you put on your steering wheel as oh, a theft yes. prevention device. I actually wrote that down earlier. <laughs> I just chose to go past it. But yeah, he has one of those. And that's a plot point, too. Uh, barely. They never actually tie it together in the end. You're just supposed to, what, understand? We'll talk about it when we get yeah. there. Uh, but yeah, yeah, she is inundating him with beeper messages and emails there's the famous shot of him getting the picture that he can't close when his girlfriend shows up and then he has to turn the computer off. Yeah. Then, eventually, she confronts him because she shows up at his house. Yeah. To tell his mother happy, happy birthday. birthday. Yeah. And while the mom is out of the room, he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, we're friends, right? Can't a friend come by and say happy birthday to a friend's mom? And he's like, this is too much. I can't handle this. And she's like, are you saying that making love to me was a mistake? And he's like, yeah, I guess I am. What are you saying? That making love to me was a mistake? Yeah, I guess I am. I'm sorry. And so that's and here's, not good. Here's the thing with Madison is Evelyn makes so much more sense, right? She has borderline personality disorder. It explains... Like, it's understandable why she behaves the way that she does. Madison is just conniving. She's, she is insane. She's psychopathic, but that's her thing. And in this sort of scenario, psychopathy is not interesting to me. It's just, oh, this is just a villain who's a villain because her brain doesn't work right. That's not interesting. <laughs> in the other one, it's like, she's a villain because her brain doesn't work right, because which causes her to behave this way, and she's sort of out of her own control. But with Madison, she's totally in control, 100% of the time. She's in control of everything she does. She's very malicious, and she does everything she does absolutely willingly with malice and forethought. She just doesn't care about the consequences, and that's not as interesting. So meanwhile, his girlfriend wants to see him, but he's like, I have to go to work. I wrote down here, wait, does he have work or doesn't he? Is he lying to his girlfriend? And if so, why? Why is this part happening? I think he really does have work, but he's just kind of like brushing her off because he can't focus on anything yeah. except for the craziness of Madison Bell. And then he finds out that uh, Josh and Madison are now hooking up, which yep. is an interesting development. Yep. So then... He does go to work, and he sees the old guy who he had a good relationship with before, and now he's just being a dick, and he's like, just take your pills. It's like, what? Why would you be a dick to this old dude who's dying? Like, yeah. what purpose does that serve? Mm-hmm. And, Again, we don't care about him. Yeah, and then he she switched the pills somehow without being noticed by anybody, and it looks like he fucked up and gave him the wrong pills. Which almost caused the old dude to die. And he's fired. Yes, and he gets fired. So he is, his life is spiraling out of control. So he goes after Madison. He grabs her by the neck. And he tells She's her. She's like, I didn't know you liked it rough. Yeah. And he's like, you need to stop what you're doing. I know it was you, etc. So this is the scene where it's most 
obvious that they're trying to do the editing because Madison's crazy. The editing's going to be crazy. And you see, like, multiple takes of the same line, like, overlapping with each other. And it could be done well. But instead, because of where the cuts happen and who's talking when the cuts happen, it just makes both of them seem crazy, <laughs> not her, which then make because everyone in the scene seems crazy. What it really communicates is that the audience is crazy and that's not OK or the camera is crazy. And that's that's not the point. And it's, it's way off base. And None it's of really it is bad. It ends None with of it him, is good. It ends with him being like, you got it? And she says yes. And he's like, good girl. Like, what? Yeah. Again, fuck Ben. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to stop calling me. You're going to stop paging me. You're going to stop visiting me. Okay? If you see me in the hallway, you're going to pass me by like I don't exist. You got it? So this is when he finally decides, I'm going to tell my girlfriend. He calls her and he says, we need to talk. Uh, And she's like, well, I'm at work. You know, we can talk in the morning. He says, okay. But Madison Bell gets there before he can. And she tells him. And then we have this weird scene that's like silent and like... He he walks through the hallways and everyone's staring at him. It's like, what? Did you go and tell the entire school? Yeah, uh-huh. And then she's there and she's crying and she won't even talk to him. And she walks away. And then her friend is like, fuck you. Yeah, we don't even see how this was communicated. So none <laughs> of this scenario like feels right. Mm-hmm. None of it feels like it makes sense because it seems like what Madison did is she got on the PA at school and she was like, by the way, Ben fucked me in the pool. He liked it. Here's a recording that's proof. And that's why everyone knows. But no, it's just it's so oddly communicated. It is. It's very strange. Then Ben has his big swim meet where the Stanford people are going to be. But he gets disqualified because he came back positive for steroids. steroids. Yeah. Which makes no sense because it's like, first of all, uh, we all know about the Olympics. Those results don't come come out until after uh the, the swim meet. And then also, like, he could very easily be like, test me again. Fucking test me again. I don't do drugs. Like, Well, she was we find out later that she was dosing him. Oh, she was? Yeah. How? I, it's never explained, but she does have the steroids. Yeah, I think she just put that in his pee. You don't just put it directly in his pee. That The levels that would show up would be <laughs> astronomical. It would be enough to give somebody a heart attack in translation, right? Like, so it has to be, again, very poorly explained. They just know that they need to do a thing and that there needs to be a consequence. And there's no thought for how it all happens. Anyway... This is the moment where I said, you know, this movie would have been slightly more interesting if the dude suddenly became the villain. If he snaps here and then he suddenly becomes – and he goes crazy and he starts doing things that are not cool because he's been doing things that are not cool this entire fucking movie. And he becomes the villain and he's no longer our hero because I hate him as our hero. But so, like, his coach doesn't believe him, his mom doesn't believe him, and Uh they say over the fucking PA speaker, Ben Cronin has been disqualified. Like, they would do it that way. This is is also the moment where we see uh, Renee in the stands. Now, Renee is the one black character in the entire fucking movie. 
she's interesting. She only has a few lines, but they're all kind of dope. They're all kind of like, hey, you being a jerk, why don't you fuck off? <laughs> like that that's her whole persona. Her whole persona is like doing the right thing and not being afraid to stand up for herself and her friends. And so I wrote down, I want to know more about Renee. What is going on with her? Because she's the only one that shows up to this meet other than we see glimpses of Madison. Like, so I want to know, like, who is Renee? Why have we not heard more about her? We will ever so slightly. So then later, he's all upset and he jumps in the pool and he's swimming around. And then somehow he didn't notice a dead body floating in the pool that he just bumps into. And it's his friend Josh. And then we cut to his uh, funeral. funeral and there's a cop and he's like, I didn't fucking do it. This cop comes out of nowhere. I mean, That's fine because this is the first major crime that's happened in the entire movie. But it's interesting that they know each other, right? They know each other from his juvenile delinquency days and that's fine. But if you're introducing relationships two thirds of the way into the movie – that's not okay. Why haven't we seen this? Why hasn't this cop checked in on him before? Why don't they have a good relationship before this and being like, hey, just checking up on you. You doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing fine. Great. I'm really proud of you. And then now this happens and he's like, I don't know what to think, man. He was killed with your bat that has, or with his own bat well, that has your fingerprints earlier, on it. Earlier in the film, he had seen a cop who had given him a dirty look. And when he's talking to Madison about his thievery days, uh -huh. he said the cops are the only people in town who haven't forgotten. Yeah. So there is that, those two things that happen. Yeah. I don't know. So anyway, yeah, that's what happened is, is Josh was killed with his bat. And he's like, your fingerprints were on it. It's like, so are the whole teams. But also, you were alone when you found the body in the pool supposedly, and the only thing that happened with Josh prior to this was that you got in a fight with him when you were disqualified and you shoved him into the pool. Because you claimed that, because he thought that he was in on it. He thought that he and Madison had done it together. Right. Because he figured you want the scholarships yep. that I'm probably going to get. He decides to go after Madison, so he goes to Madison's home. She is giving a concert <laughs> on her cello. Yeah. And while they're doing that, he's in investigating her room. He finds a hospital volunteer badge, which proves that she switched the pills. He finds the steroids. It, it doesn't prove, it implies. Implies yeah. that she's been giving him steroids. Finds a box of mementos all about him. She pasted a picture of herself on top of a picture of him and his girlfriend. Yeah. Which I don't know where he where she got that from, but I guess it's implied that she's been stealing shit, I guess. Yeah. And in walks her cousin. Dante. And he and, and this is while they have like this whole concert going on in the other room. Mm -hmm. And he's like, if you found if she found you in here, she'd kill you. Come on! Like yells yeah. it. You shouldn't be in here. She found you in here, she'd kill you. No shit. You better come with me. Come on! Well, there's people there. <laughs> and what is with the cousin, Christopher Dante? He has zero character up to this point, except for what we've already talked about. Although we did, like, see glances of him. So the only thing that they give us is, like, these obvious teases. And so there's... They're not subverting expectations by making this uh, potentially mentally disabled uh, young kid being like 
coming to the rescue and being proactive and being outwardly social and active. Like they're not subverting any expectations because it's very, very obvious that he's going to play a key role in this. They do not hide that fact. I agree. So he basically shows him like, here's what happened to her boyfriend. He was like in a car accident and it left him in a coma. Yeah, it's one of those one of those boxes, just like the one he found of, of himself with all the memorabilia of himself. But it's all this memorabilia of this other guy. Now, I don't know. This was something that really irked me because I was like, I don't understand what you're trying to say here. Is it that she caused because we find out later that she was in the car at the same time, but she had a seatbelt on. And so uh-huh. she was fine and he didn't have his seatbelt yeah. on. So it wasn't fine. Is the implication that she killed him? No. Or the, was it just a real car accident? My my thought is that, well, she didn't kill him. He's still alive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that she caused it. She was wearing a seatbelt and he was not. Because Ben goes and visits this guy in a hospital in New York, this really swank recuperative hospital. And the nurse is like, I don't understand why you kids don't wear seatbelts. And it's like, <laughs> there is a man in a coma. <laughs> So bizarre, but yeah, oh, his girlfriend was wearing hers and she turned out just fine. It implies that she either caused the accident and knew ahead of time to buckle her seatbelt or caused the accident and knew ahead of time to unbuckle his seatbelt. Something like that, but she's the cause. And the nurse also explains that she set up the entire room with all of his, like, sports memorabilia. Because he was a star baseball player. Yes. He was being scouted by the Mets. And... So his letterman jacket is there, his hat's there, and all this stuff is there. So conveniently. So you think that she did cause the accident? Absolutely. I feel like there's just not enough explanation because there are actual pictures of him and her together. No, no, no. I I totally feel where you're coming from. This movie does a terrible job at communicating its ideas. It just drops a thing and it's like, oh, I know I'm supposed to make a connection here. So it just does and it just doesn't bother following through on any of it. <laughs> so he gets a page from his mom and he calls her and she's like, where the fuck are you? Everyone's looking for you. Shiri Appleby, I can't remember her character's name, was run off the road when she was on her bike. By your by car. By your car. He he drives like a um, Suburban or something like that. And, it and that, was, came, that came into play with the whole car boot handle jack. Right. Because what was that called? Car was stolen. The club. The club. And yeah. she's like, "I told you to put it on there every day." And he's like, "I do." And she like stole his keys, but like the keys are back. I don't know. Yeah. the The idea is she copied his keys. Does any of this sound familiar to you, people? <laughs> Somebody just saw Play Misty for me, and like, what if Play Misty for me, but kids and dumb and <laughs> and swimming. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, he's obviously in trouble and everyone's looking for him. So we cut to Madison in the hospital. She's going to try to take out Sherry Appleby's character, his girlfriend, Ben's girlfriend. Ben is worried about this. That's where his mind immediately goes. So he tries to tell his mom, who works in this same fucking hospital, I gotta protect my girlfriend, protect her, protect her. And, but it's like, please insert 25 more cents. Remember payphones? I remember payphones. <laughs> and he just doesn't have any money. And so instead of finding a quarter and calling his mom back and going, hey, he travels all the way fucking back to the hospital. It's so dumb. Anyway, but that's besides the point. So she's dressed up in her outfit like a doctor. You know, 
17 year old doctor <laughs> she has she's wearing a white robe she's not dressed like a nurse and uh, she's headed towards Shiri's room and as she's walking she hears somebody page the name of her ex-boyfriend the one who's supposed to be in the coma and this is the one thing in the entire movie that I thought was remarkable and really well done. And Kelsey's like, I don't get why you love this so much, but I do. <laughs> so probably the most famous use of a particular technique is in Jaws. When somebody screams that there's a shark on the beach and Chief Brody is sitting on the beach, they do this shot. Everyone knows it. The background gets farther away while the foreground gets closer and the object you're focusing on stays the same size. It's a really weird effect, but how you do that basically is you zoom in or out with the camera lens and you physically move the camera in the opposite direction. It's as simple as that. It's a great effect and well done. It can, it can be amazing and really effective. This does something similar as this, alert thing is coming up, you get this, that same sensation as the camera is moving closer and closer to Madison. But the speaker stays in the shot and it doesn't change size. What they're doing here is they have the camera up in the corner where the speaker is along the wall. And as the camera travels towards Madison, the camera, the speaker is attached to the same rig that the camera is. So it stays in exactly the same position. And it's kind of subtle, but I loved that shot. If I was to make a movie, I would put a shot like that in my movie. I thought it was incredible. And I'd like to know, because uh, I can't think of one off the top of my head, somebody that changes that traditional shot in that way another movie that came before this because it's the first time i've seen something like that <laughs> so if you know about it i'd like to hear about it so let me know write the show but anyway in play misty for me she went off the deep end and used a fake name once in this movie in swim fan madison is way less believable she needed to pose as a doctor. She needed to get steroids in his bloodstream. She needed to do all these things. There's so much that she needs to have accomplished. It's just unbelievable and therefore less frightening. Evelyn manages to be much more frightening as a result of being much more believable. Anyway. But so, yeah, they keep saying paging Jake Donnelly, which is the name of her okay. boyfriend. Yeah. And at first she's going to ignore it, and then they do that shot that Chris just said, and then she just basically, she can't handle it. So she goes to the front desk, and she sees a man wearing that jacket, and, and she thinks it's hat. him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she starts saying his name, and he starts to walk away, and she's following after him into the parking lot. And when he turns around, it's her cousin. It's Christopher Dante. Who I guess likes Ben. I mean, he did warn him. So, and all this time, meanwhile, remember, the reason this is a concern is because he didn't have a quarter to call back his mom at the hospital to make sure that Shiri was protected because Madison was going to be there. Instead of calling her back some way, he manages to contact and get to Christopher Dante. Like, but you couldn't get... 
like the big tension is that you couldn't contact your mom or the hospital or the cops or anybody. Well, so he grabs her from behind and he like holds a scalpel or something like that to her. And whatever she says is coercion. He says all the stuff that she did and she's like, you can't prove it. And he goes, "Okay, so I'll just kill you. And she goes, you don't have the guts to do that. That's when. Renee comes out of nowhere holding a camcorder. Remember Renee? And I was like, I'd like to know more about her. Well, you don't get to. She just gets to play one token point in this entire fucking thing. At the very beginning of the film, she was filming people, too. So she had a camcorder. So she was good for this scene. So she A job that could have been just as well accomplished by having a camera resting on top of one of the cars nearby. So she basically, he basically now has it on camera that she admits to what she did. So she gets arrested. Yes. And the cops take her away. And for some... Why? <laughs> you think somebody murdered somebody, attempted to murder somebody else. You put them in the backseat of a cop car and you put another cop with his gun in the backseat with her? And her... What the fuck are you thinking? And her wrists are cuffed in front of her. They're not even behind her. (laughs) And you're sitting with your gun on her side? What the fuck are you thinking? Yeah, it's it's really bad. Like, this so, is just absurdly bad. So while they're stopped at a train crossing, she grabs the gun and she shoots both of the cops and she gets away. And I wrote, is this still going on? Can it please just be over now? You were so close to being over. <laughs> but it's not, because now we have to have the scene where she threatens the life of the girlfriend. Yes. And she does this... By taking her to the pool, which is where I wrote, it's a good thing he's a swimmer. Right? Oh, isn't it just such a coincidence that the one thing he has to do to save his girlfriend is swim good. (laughs) And also, but then, like, she throws her into the pool. Like, she's got her, with the handcuffs, she's got her locked up to a chair. A chair. And she dumps her into the pool. And apparently he can't. Lift it. It's at the bottom of a deep end. I don't mean lift it. I mean drag it. You don't need to lift her out of the pool. Just drag her up to the top. It would be difficult. Anyway, it doesn't matter because remember he's a thief and remember she gave him her barrette earlier, which in all the weeks and months that it's been, he hasn't taken out of his jeans pocket. This is another thing that was all caps, multiple exclamation points and question marks. Seriously? Why? (sighs) Why would he still have that in his pants? (laughs) I didn't believe that it unlocked a regular key lock. Now you're telling me it unlocks cuffs with those tiny little keyholes? Are you fucking shitting me? He's able to save her, and she, like, is trying to hit him with, like, the the pool cleaning thing. Um, She keeps hitting the top of the water, and I think he, like, pulls it, and she falls in. And remember, she can't she swim. She can't swim. And so He's a really she... good swimmer, and she can't swim. I'm going to have our final confrontation in a pool. <laughs> she falls in. But not after she yells out, no one will ever love you like I do, which is extremely similar to in Play Misty for Me. Mm-hmm. I, actually, actually, earlier in the film... Madison Bell did actually say, yeah, love me, we I know it. We didn't talk about that. Which is exactly what she, uh, she says in Play Misty for she Me. She shouted something out of a car, just like in Play Misty for Me, because Josh 
found out the reason why Josh is dead is because he found out that she really did drug him. Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about that. And he was like, hey, no, he is my friend. I wish him all the success in the world. I am not happy he got disqualified. And now I believe him. I thought he was just upset. But no, he was telling the truth. I can't believe you would do that. And he ends the relationship right there. And she's like yelling at him. You get back here right now. And the next time we see Josh, he's dead in that pool. Yeah. So anyway. You'd think that would be the ending. And it should be the ending. I don't have any more comments. Because the final ending is really pointless and oh, yeah. just plain insanely angering. It's so, so dumb. After he saves his girlfriend, after Madison Bell has died, after they have proof that she did all this shit. Yeah, and she killed two police officers. They cut to him watching a swim meet. But then he leaves with his girlfriend and it's like, wait, okay, you just wanted to make sure that your audience knew that he still doesn't get to go and yeah. he is an excellent Olympic swimmer because she did something that they know she did? It was like an extra 30 what? fucking seconds for no purpose. Your movie was over with. And it's not even a minute long, I don't think. It's just like the two of them, him and his girlfriend, go to the meet. They watch the meet happen and then they leave together. End of movie. Like what new information did I get there besides the fact that, oh, they are actually together again and he didn't get to compete anymore? Why was that valuable? He's a fucking dickhead. I don't care if they get back together. I care if she dies and I know she survived. So I don't need this extra shit, this 30 seconds, two scenes. Where you tell me that because he was drugged by somebody else, he still doesn't get to be an Olympic swimmer. Just. What? What? Lightning round, Kelsey? No, I'm good. No, I'm good, too. (laughs) What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 15. You are on fire. It was 14. Uh, a Fatal Attraction ripoff. Nope, wrong. It's a Play Misty for me ripoff. <laughs> Swim Fan is a predictable, mediocre thriller. Metacritic of 29, but a cinema score of B-. minus. Which, how people walked out of this film with anything but seething anger, again, I but do again, not know. Again, I remember seeing this in high school. I didn't think it was great then, but I certainly didn't have the critical eye that I have now. I just thought of it as a silly high school thriller. And I'm sure that a lot of kids who saw this were high schoolers, and they're going to be like, oh, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Just, ugh. Ugh. Okay. So what would you give it? I'm going to give it a 20. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give it a 20 because it reminds, it's more of nostalgia I thought that he was really hot when I saw the movie. Um, it was everywhere. Yeah, he's an attractive dude. Yeah. It's fun. It's stupid. It's but really it's not fun. fun. There is no part. The only part, I mean, I think the reason why I liked that shot so much was it was literally the only part of the movie that I enjoyed. Literally the only part. And it was like, I was like, oh, oh, there was something novel. Oh my God. Now it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was quite as angering as like a uh, lesbian angel vampires <laughs> or x-ray. I'll give this one a five. <laughs> no, I feel like I'm giving it way too high of a score. I'm actually going to give it. No, no, you can give it a 20. It's okay. I'm going to give it a 15. All right. It is really bad. But like I said, it just, it, 
it reminds me of a time in my life. Yeah, it brings back that early internet nostalgia. Yeah. When they just put an at sign at the end of the title for no fucking reason because it evoked email addresses that people kind of under didn't understand what it was. It was so weird that this was very like the way it was marketed was very like, oh, this is Internet culture. And it had hardly anything to do with the Internet. He got an email. He got several emails from her. We never and talked it's like her, one scene. Her, her handle was swim, swim fan. fan. Uh, yeah. So swim fan 85 or something like that. Yeah. So I I'll give it a 15. OK. It's not a good movie. I don't think there's anything. You no, know, really I'm not good mad at you. It. I'm mad at the movie. I just. <laughs> Like I said, it just it just reminds me of high school, and I remember seeing this in theater with friends, and yeah. It's a ubiquitous movie, and I'm really surprised that it is so. I don't know. I think probably because the, the name is so ridiculous. Like, if you think about it, Swim Fan. It's bad. It's a bad title. Like, that would be like calling Play Misty for me DJ Fan. And it's also really obnoxious to say, oh, it's called that because that would be her handle. Do you remember the handles we had in 2002? Because I remember the handle I had, and it was... What was it, Kelsey? Well, okay, I don't remember the first ones that I had, but the one that I kept through all of high school and through some of college was Mad Hatter 101, missing the E. Uh Uh-huh. And the one I had when I was very young, when I first got the internet in in the 90s, I got AOL... And they set it up under my name, by the way, because my parents didn't know what the fuck the internet was. <laughs> and when we got it, I was the only one that was really interested in it. So my my account was the primary one. And I remember my AOL username was mpython983. But I remember I had one that was like uppercase, lowercase, uppercase, yeah. lowercase, oh, with all the numbers, you know? And they call had... that SpongeBob case now. So, like, it's just, <laughs> like, and we came up with interesting stuff. We didn't call ourselves Swim Fan. It's just a bizarre... Well, example. I chose MPython on the spot. The dude was on the phone with me, and he's like, well, you need to have a name for your, your main profile. What do you want it to be? And I'm like, I don't know. It's, what is, is there something you like? I'm like, I guess Monty Python... <laughs> Uh, M Python, and then the month and year of my birth. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, this fucking movie. All right, Kelsey. That was our stalker week that we did special for Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's, Happy Valentine's Day. Day, everybody. That's this week. What are we watching next week? Next week is my week. Yes, it's Kelsey's special week. It's a double feature. Of? Poltergeist. Yeah. Poltergeist is one of my favorite all-time horror movies. I've never seen the remake. I've heard it's terrible. Yeah. We'll find out. I mean, just look at the clown that they use (laughs) in the promo materials. And it's like, this is supposed to be a clown that's in a kid's bedroom. And I know clowns can be scary. The one in Poltergeist, the original, is scary, but it looks like a clown that would be in a kid's bedroom. <laughs> Why the terrifying murder clown would be in a kid's bedroom from the Why remake, I don't. Why would anyone want a Chucky doll? I, it was a, my buddy. It wasn't, it wasn't frightening until it was Chucky. <laughs> That's the point. 
but you're not going to put like a ladder era Chucky with all the scars and half his face missing. That's not going to be in a six year old's bedroom. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the problem here. I am not looking forward to the remake of Poltergeist. You think one of my dolls is terrifying. Well, yeah, it's like got one of those ceramic faces and it's it's in like a is it the bunny one are we yes, talking the about? Bunny it's one in like a bunny you. outfit. It's it doesn't actually scare me. I just think it's creepy looking. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> All right, so that is next week. Really excited for Poltergeist. We've both seen it tons of times. We love this movie, so we hope you'll watch it with us and then listen to next week's episode. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com, where you can browse all of our episodes and get a list of every movie we've ever had on the show in nice, cool graphic format. You can leave a comment and share your thoughts on these movies there or recommend one or two for us to cover in a future episode. You can also do that by emailing us at podcemetery at gmail.com and following us on Twitter at podcemetery. Oftentimes, I'll end up adding comments while I'm editing an episode and clips and screenshots and stuff like that from the movies that we're talking about so there's usually some good supplemental material there especially last week when we did the cell there's tons of shots from the cell in there uh kelsey will sometimes also live tweet a horror movie although now that she's back at work maybe not maybe your next break you can do that Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Five-star written reviews help the absolute best. We've gotten a few of those recently, and I just want to say thank you guys very much. It was incredibly awesome and greatly appreciated. Uh, The next best thing you can do is share us with your friends, and the absolute best thing you can do is listen in the GD first place. Thank you so, so much, guys. We love every single one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? You haven't got the faintest idea of what love is. We don't even know each other. To the sacred place To see a dream I can't escape Smoldings and fangs that are picking up bones Spirits moaning among the tombstones Dweed up up a boop Bop up up a boop And there's this whole And there's this whole I'm a scat man Thank you